Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another SACPAS session. Um, during this time of social and physical, physical distancing, SACPA believes it's important to keep engaging with the public on issues of the day. And in order to do so, we are very thankful for the continuing support we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight, and the Lethbridge Herald. Today, um, during Mental Health uh, Awareness Week, we have a speaker, our speaker is Brad Moser, um, on the topic of mental health, coping, and COVID-19. Brad is a registered psychologist at Associates Counseling Services. He has been providing professional therapy for children and teens, adults, couples, and families since 2007. His areas of practice include anger, anxiety, bereavement, childhood and family of origin concerns, depression, identity concerns, marital relationship distress, men's and dad's issues, parenting, self-esteem, separation, divorce, stress, and suicidal ideations. Brad, thank you very much for joining us today and I look forward to your talk. Thank you so much for that introduction, Annalise, and thank you for joining us. As mentioned, I am Brad Moser, registered psychologist, and I work at Associates Counseling Services. Thank you for inviting me, SACPA, to talk to about something that I'm very passionate about, and I work with every day, mental health, and particularly how the pandemic has affected the mental health of all of us since March. And this is a huge topic, and narrowing it down has been really hard for me. If you do have any questions or comments, please provide them in the chat part of YouTube. If I didn't get to you or you would like to ask questions or chat one-on-one, please feel free to contact me. Uh, the website for Associates Counseling Services is talkinghelps.ca, T-A-L-K-I-N-G-H-E-L-P-S dot C-A. Uh, I'm also on social media, Brad Mose, a registered psychologist. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Here's what we're going to talk about. My next slide, please. Today, we're going to talk about Mental Illness Awareness Week, which is this week. We're going to talk about mental health and the difference between that and mental illness. We're also going to talk about how COVID-19 has complicated our mental health. And we're going to talk about some coping strategies. So let's do it. Next slide, please. This week is Mental Illness Awareness Week, and this started in 1992, put on by the Canadian Alliance of Mental Illness and Mental Health. It's a, it's a national strategy to end stigma of mental illness, inform people of the importance of mental illness, and to advocate for mental health support at the national level. The important thing is that mental health is just as important as physical health. And if you want to find out more, get involved, you can check out the website for the Canadian Alliance on Mental Illness and Mental Health. You can search that or the acronym C-A-M-I-M-H, uh, the website, or you can also check them out on Facebook. And this campaign is especially important in 2020 because as you can see, uh, and as you'll see today, it has definitely affected, uh, the COVID pandemic has affected our mental health. Next slide, please. So what's the difference between mental health and mental illness? Mental illness 
are health conditions that are diagnosable, that they are health conditions where there is an impairment in one's emotional, mental, or behavioral well-being, and they cause distress in one's social work or family life. It's not rare, according to the Canadian Mental Health Association, every year, one to five people in Canada will personally experience a mental illness in their life. So chances are you either you have a mental illness or somebody that you know uh, and care about deeply has a mental illness or will have one in their lifetime. And uh, the difference between mental illness and mental health is that even though you know only one in five of us will have mental illness, we all are affected by our mental health. Mental health affects us all. So if you look at the slide here, I have a pie diagram to represent what mental health is from my perspective. And I see it as a wholeness, a wholeness wheel, where it takes up four pieces of the pie. There's emotional health, mental health, behavioral health, which I'm also including in there, physical health, and social health. So it, it takes up different components and it's not only mental health in mental health that's affected. It's all these different parts of our life. And I'm not implying that equal balance is ideal, that you have to have a balance of 25% for each of these. It's about finding your own happy balance and that each piece adds its own flavor to mental health. So just take a moment, uh, if you can put the slide back on, if it's not on there, please, Adelise. I just want to take a moment, look at this pie, look at the four pieces, and just reflect on the last seven months and how has the coronavirus pandemic affected these parts of your life? That's what we're going to look at next. Uh, next slide, please. So how has COVID-19 affected our mental health? As I said, this is a huge topic. There's so much to talk about here. And so I've organized it into six categories, six different major ways that it's affected our mental health. We're going to look at how it has created stress in our life, how it has created grief and loss, the behavioral symptoms of mental health, uh, mental health symptoms, how COVID-19 has affected our family relationships. And the last one is overwhelming themes that have happened within the last seven months. So next slide, please. We're gonna start with stress. That's a big thing that a lot of us have gone through in the last seven months. Let's look at how this has affected us. It's affected us because when we have changes in our life, we experience stress. So there's been financial stressors. A lot of people have lost jobs. A lot of people have received cutbacks in their pay uh, or their business has suffered. It's also affected our relationships uh, because it's put a lot of strain on our relationships. We've had to, uh, we stay disconnected from a lot of people because we can't see as many people. Travel has been difficult. And the family relationship has, has created, has had a lot of stress put on them as well, uh, which we'll look at later on. It's also affected our routines and lifestyles. How we used to do things is a lot different than how we are this year as opposed to last year. It's also affected school. So 
all us parents out there know that in March we were stuck with emergency homeschooling. And now that school has started again for our children, we've had to, we've been put in the dilemma of whether we should homeschool them or take the risk and let them go back to school. And it's also affected kids and parents in different ways in that parents have to put up with their own stress and anxiety for their own life, but also for their kids' lives and try to manage both of those. Whereas children are, are struggling to cope with their own stress and absorb the stress energy from their parents, right? Because children are very good at absorbing the stress of their parents. It's also affected high-risk populations. And I don't think that's talked about enough. High-risk populations are people over the age of 60 and people who have underlying medical conditions. And they are at really high risk of loneliness and isolation. Uh, it's affected people of all ages, from all walks of life, all of us have been affected, and definitely people who, have who are going through some life transitions, right? So people who are getting married, weddings have had to be rescheduled or have had to happen with restrictions and not being able to do things they always dreamed of doing in their wedding. Also, graduations have been difficult, uh, high school and post-secondary as well. Uh, next slide, please. COVID-19 has also affected uh, us from a grief and loss perspective. When we have losses in our life, we experience grief. We experience a bereavement process, and there's been lots of losses from the pandemic. The first big one is death of loved ones, whether they died of COVID-19 or any other reason. Uh, it's been really difficult because our natural, traditional style of bereavement and, and coping has been to have funerals where anybody can attend. Uh, you can get lots of hugs and uh, reassurances. You can get close to people and talk and share memories, travel far distances. And unfortunately, that's been complicated in many different ways. Travel has been difficult. We can't get as close to people. We can only invite so many people to a funeral. So it's really, it's really complicated, the, the bereavement process for, the, for a lot of people. It's also created job loss for millions of Canadians. And it's not just a job. When you lose a job, it's not just a job. It's not just about money. Employment is a protective factor against mental health and addictions. And so, so there's a lot of losses we experience with jobs. And also financial losses we talked about before with the financial stress. There has been an increase in divorce and separation uh, since the pandemic started. I'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the family section. It's also affected our social supports, that we've lost a lot of connections because we can't see people face-to-face -face as much as we used to. Uh, we can't travel as easily now. And there's also been a loss of, for all of us, a loss of normal, and we're trying to embrace this idea of new normal, which can be very difficult because we have to try to let go of the old normal. The last one, piece of grief I want to talk about is called anticipatory grief. And this is where we have a loss of clear vision for the future. Okay, so we know that something is bad out there. We can't see it. We know that it could hurt us or someone we love, but we just really can't put our finger on it. And we don't know when it's going to end. 
And because of that, we can experience feelings of grief, loss, and anxiety. Right, next slide, please. Behaviors. The COVID-19 pandemic has affected how we behave in different ways. The first one is social behaviors. Now, this is a big topic. I'm just going to kind of touch on it, unfortunately. Uh, but what I'm talking more about with social behaviors is our, our, our social comparison that we tend to do as human beings. And when we're experiencing overwhelming feelings of uncertainty, fear, and stress, we feel insecure in our lives. And we may feel like we want to compare ourselves to others. So we look for social cues from others and try to cope. Now, if we see behaviors from others that are consistent with our, our value set, we can accept those people. However, if we see behaviors that don't align with our own values, we may reject people, we may judge them. Now, if we join others who share our beliefs and share our values and share our rejection of people, we can reject and judge people together. And that unfortunately can create an us versus them mentality. Put that into the extreme and it could lead to racism or xenophobia. Again, a big topic, but just, there is kind of a tie-in, I think, to the pandemic and how it's affected our mental health. Uh, the pandemic has also affected our technology use. We've had to find, find many different innovative ways of using technology, and it's been great. A lot of benefits with that. Unfortunately, there's been some uh, risks with our increase in technology, our increase in screen time for adults and children. Uh, emotionally, when we're using too much technology, we can feel isolated. Um, even though you might be connecting with others online, uh, because it's kind of it's a different interaction. When you're with when you're face to face with people. Uh, you pick up on social cues, you uh, take turns talking, you share with each other. Whereas online, it's a bit of a different take because you're, you're not getting instant graphic, you're getting instant gratification online, but you're not doing that face to face. So there can be a feelings of isolation. It can also lead to anxiety and depression. Now, this is especially with social media, because a lot of times on social media, people put up uh, other people put up, you know, the good times. They put up all the good things in their life. And if you're feeling depressed, that can that can make it worse for you because you're you might be comparing yourself to those people and and feel like you're not enough. Uh, technology can be risky too if it's used as an emotional regulation tool. Uh, and that's kind of the same with an increase in alcohol and drug use. If we rely on alcohol, drugs, or our screens to try to regulate our emotion, that's where unhealthy coping can happen. And the last behavior that's been uh, uh, impacted by COVID-19, I've, I've seen this a lot in my practice, is sleep deprivation. Uh, due to increases in anxiety, increases in stress, and the blue light that comes out of our phones and our screens actually decreases our melatonin and that interrupts with our natural circadian clock. So using our phones or our, our screens before bed or while, if we're trying to sleep using it, it is not a good idea. It just kind of, it kind of make our sleep worse. So it's usually best before bed, at least an hour to try to stay away from screens. Uh, next slide, please. 
We're going to talk about some of the mental health symptoms uh, that have come up a lot, and I've seen a lot of these in my in my practice. The main ones, and these are symptoms, are not necessarily the mental illnesses, but uh, I'm sharing them here because pretty much I think a lot of us or all of us have experienced these to some degree. Stress I've talked about before with changes, but what stress does to our body is it increases our level of cortisol in our body which actually decreases our immune system and uh, so you can see how the the mental uh, our mental health affects our physical health and that it decreases our immune system um, anxiety is our body's natural alarm system that danger may or may not be coming and of course we know that there's danger out there and it's there's a lot of uncertainty and that definitely increases our anxiety levels. Depression is persistent feelings of sadness and loss of hope, interest, and drive. And definitely that's been a big thing. Uh, definitely happens from uh, isolation and loneliness. A suicide um, is always a risk when people are experiencing overwhelming mental health symptoms and when normal protective factors are being restricted. So it's important to check in on that. And if you are having thoughts of suicide, to get help right away, to see a therapist, to talk to people that you you love and care for, because it is it is really helpful um, to talk to people when you have thoughts of suicide, to feel social connect, socially connected to others. And trauma. Trauma is a serious threat of injury to ourself or others. When we experience that, we can experience trauma. And the PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder is a mental illness that can happen when um, a traumatic event is uh, impacting our lives in negative ways. It's causing us to re-experience the trauma. We're avoiding triggers related to the trauma, that sort of thing. And if people have PTSD previously, before the pandemic started, or if you have experienced uh, traumatic stressful experiences before the pandemic, uh, the pandemic can actually, the stressors involved in the pandemic can actually trigger those trauma, um, those trauma, those traumatic uh, wounds. And um, also, there are some ways that actually people have experienced trauma from the actual COVID-19 pandemic. So an example of that is frontline workers in hospitals who are witnessing people die every day, and then they also think have recurring thoughts that they might die. So that's kind of an example of how that could happen. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, I know this seems pretty negative so far, but uh, we will get to the coping session later on, and there's it's, it gets a little bit more positive there. So hang in there. Uh, we're gonna look at how COVID-19 has affected our families and our relationships. Uh, there has been an increase in, in conflict within marriages, within uh, common law relationships, because of the cumulative stress that is placed on those relationships due to the COVID and due to having less protective factors in people's lives. So they've relied on their marriage to make up for not being able to see friends or, or uh, et cetera, and not having those protective factors. Uh, so as a result, there's been a lot of divorces and separations uh, since the pandemic started and increases in that. Uh, with domestic violence and child abuse, uh, there is an increased risk of that because of, again, the stress within the family unit. 
there definitely has been an increase in child sex exploitation. Uh, and that could be due to a number of factors, including increases in unsupervised screen time, feelings of loneliness among youth, etc. And there has been also an increase in substance use and mental health um, and, and how that affects the family. Because when somebody in the, in, the, in the family or a few people in the family are struggling with addictions or mental health, that def has an impact on the rest of the family because the family is a system. So if somebody is going through stress and problems in their own life, it definitely impacts everybody else in the house. But in the same token, if somebody is, is doing really well in their, in their mental health and they're feeling really good, that has a, a positive effect on everybody in the house as well. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, the last uh, category I'm going to be looking at is overwhelming themes. Okay, so these are the, the things that have seemed to be going on throughout the whole thing that, and how it's affected our mental health. Uh, some of them are kind of more recently. Uh, but there is, throughout the whole pandemic, there's been a lot of isolation, right? And so when people feel isolated, they can tend to feel lonely. It can lead to symptoms of depression, uh, poor sleep patterns, increase in drugs and alcohol or other risky ways to try to cope. Uh, there's also been uncertainty, a lot of uncertainty. And when we're unsure about what's going to happen in the future, we can experience uh, a lot of stress and anxiety because our alarm response is, is always on, on threat, threat alarm. And there's also been a pressure to adapt, pressure to adapt to rules, to the new normal. Um, and it's been a prolonged ex experience of we have to adapt, we have to do this now, we have to follow these rules. And so when that happens, we all have an internal, uh, uh, what is it, an internal rebel, an inner rebel within our bodies. And so if we feel like we're being controlled by somebody or something, we, we feel like we want to rebel, we want to push back. We feel like our freedoms are being taken away and we want to fight back. And so that can happen here when we're, we feel like we're forced to do things and keep doing things. And so our own moral code may slip and we may even feel a sense of relief by not following the rules. And this can kind of lead into COVID fatigue. And that's a big thing that's been talked about recently. Um, it's also been called pandemic fatigue. After feeling long-term uncertainty and disruption in our life, we can feel strained and stretched beyond the limit. And this leads to a sense of burnout with the pandemic. And it can lead to feelings of apathy, emotional exhaustion, and irritability. Next slide, please. So as I said, we're going to get to a more positive spin here. We're going to look at how can we practice positive mental health in our life and during the pandemic? So again, I'm bringing back this wheel, this pie diagram to look at how we can balance these pieces of the pie, what we can do to experience more emotional, mental, behavioral and social health. So we'll start with mental health. So mental health relates to our mind, what we're focused on, our thoughts, our self-talk, our core beliefs. Thoughts are uh, things that come in images or thoughts or words that come to our mind. And we have over 30,000 thoughts a day. We have a lot of these. A, more, a very common thought that we've gone through in the last seven months are worries, what if thoughts. And self-talk can be positive or negative. 
An example of uh, negative self-talk is I'm not worth it. Core beliefs are beliefs that we've held on to for a long time relating to ourselves, other people, humanity, the world, that kind of thing. So an example of a core belief is focusing on my own needs is selfish. Okay, so what helps here to cope with these things is to try to reframe what you're saying to yourself. So a good way to do that is to take a piece of paper and to draw a line down the middle of the paper and to make two columns. On the left column, you write down your automatic thoughts, right? Like I said, 30,000 thoughts a day or the self-talk or core beliefs. On the right side, you write down how can I change these thoughts to make them work better for me. So example of that is if I'm having, you know, the self-talk of I'm not worth it, you could change that to I am worth it or I'm worthy of love and belonging, that kind of thing. And that can really have a big impact on your mental health. Next slide, please. Emotional awareness, acceptance and expression. Okay, this is our emotional health. If you can see on the slide, I have here uh, a, a, an emotion wheel. Okay, so it starts with the middle of the wheel where we have our primary emotions, happy, sad, surprised, fear, anger, disgust, and then spanning out from those core emotions are other names related to that, that core feeling. Okay? So there is, it is important to be aware of our feelings, to accept them, and to communicate them. We can't control or change our feelings. We can influence them by doing things, by having a different attitude, but we can actually change our feelings. So if I'm feeling sad, I can't say to myself, I'm going to feel happy and I snap my fingers and I'm happy. But we can do things to influence them. The first step is awareness. And that's not avoidance. It's awareness of how you feel. What do you feel? Where do you feel it in your body? Okay. The second step is acceptance. Because a lot of times when we feel something, we try to fight it. We try to shame ourselves for it. We shouldn't be feeling that way. But acceptance is a big key here. And it's about, it's about trying to help um, yourself uh, be okay with how you feel and to show self-compassion towards yourself. The third step is to talk about your feelings with others. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, we're going to look at physical health. As I, as I mentioned with that pie, I, I put physical under the behavioral uh, piece. But because this, ha this has a big impact on our, our mental health, our physical health, this has to do with, first of all, our self-acceptance of our body image, right? Uh, being okay with how we look, with our body. Um, because when we can passionately accept our body, the inside and outside, it helps us feel worthy of love and belonging. And it makes it easier for us to exercise, eat healthy, love ourselves, and feel healthy. But a lot of people, unfortunately, fight against that and they reject their body image. And that doesn't motivate them to do anything with their body, actually. So there is a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of good things with self-acceptance. Exercise, moving our body, has so many positive impacts on our, our life. It reduces stress and anxiety and depression. It improves our sleep and self-esteem, and it releases endorphins, our, bo our body's natural painkillers. Uh, next slide, please. Our social well-being. Okay? It's important to connect with others. Okay? It's hard to do that um, nowadays. It's harder. 
but it is that definitely possible. Um, talking about how you feel, talking about what's been going on with you, how the pandemic has affected you is really helpful. To do that with loved ones is helpful. Also with professionals. So there are therapists and counselors all over. And um, if you've never tried it out before, give it a try and um, try out a few different counselors. If, if, if you met with one counselor, you didn't really feel like it was a fit, try another one until you find like you find somebody with a personality fit for you because it can be a really um, life-changing uh, thing for you. It can really help you look at your emotions, your behaviors, your thoughts, and look at how you want to change your life, the, the life you want to live, and the counselor can be a supportive person to help you get there. Uh, there's different ways of connecting nowadays, as I mentioned. You can do it virtually, phone, social distancing walks. You can do lots of creative stuff like play video games, board games online with others, watch movies together online. Um, the last point I want to talk about is reframing. And this is related back to what I was talking before about social behavior, social comparisons. Um, it's really helpful nowadays to reframe your life, reframe the situations you're in because of, of everything changing uh, and trying to look for opportunities. Whenever there are crises, there's always opportunities. So rather than rejecting or judging others for their behaviors, trying to lean towards empathy and trying to understand them. And rather than having a us versus them mentality, trying to lean towards we're all in this together. Um, next slide, please. Okay, uh, we're almost done here. I got a couple more slides. I want to talk a little bit about self-care. Self-care is taking care of yourself the same way you take care of those you love. And unfortunately, this has been deprived a lot, and especially during the pandemic. So it's so important to focus on things like your own relaxation, uh, what you do to energize yourself, your body. What are things that you enjoy that help you feel productive, whether it's work or stuff at home? Um, or other stuff, volunteering perhaps. And also, what are things that give you a sense of purpose and joy? And what are some things you do by yourself, like having your own me time? And what are some things you do with others, right? And with these things that, that re-energize your life. And the benefits of self-care are to prioritize our well-being, increase our level of patience, energy, and passion for life. Uh, next slide, please. Okay. So in closing, uh, thank you for, for joining me today again. And thank you to SACPA for inviting me to today. Uh, we're going to be having a question and answer period now. Um, at the end of the, that period, I will have a few uh, take-home messages to leave with you. So, so again, thanks for joining me. Thanks very much for this excellent presentation, Brad. We very much appreciate it. And we've got some questions in the queue, so I'll jump right in. Um, our first question comes from Mark Goodall. Should non-conformists of COVID prevention measures be confronted? For instance, those not wearing masks in store. This causes much stress. Okay. So I just wanted to recap the question from Mark. Thank you, Mark. I think it was Mark. Um, it's uh, should not. Uh, it's related to non-conformists. So people who are 
for example, not wearing masks or not conforming to the social rules be confronted? And that was a question. Yep. Okay. So uh, that is a difficult question um, because it's related to how we should uh, respond to other people. From my perspective, um, the only the, the, my my concern for that is when we do if we do confront others, uh, it can create that public shaming um, atmosphere, and I'm concerned about the people's mental health that are being shamed, um, and also maybe other people who are witnessing that that experience. Um, so. If, if people are not conforming, the, the approach I would prefer is, um, I know this is hard to reinforce um, as a society, but I, I would prefer to talk to those individuals if you're concerned and just say, just have a start a conversation with them um, and that you're concerned with, you know, what they're doing, you're concerned for your own health and the health of the people that you're with. Uh, and just kind of use the, the I statement, the I feel statement to express how you feel um, and um, they can respond however they want to respond. Um, you could start having a conversation with them. You could ask them how they feel about it. You could, uh, that sort of thing. Because what, what is unique uh, about this is if you have, if you see somebody and you, you think that you have different values from them or different beliefs or different thoughts, once you start talking with them, you might even notice that uh, you might have empathy for them. You might notice that you have shared beliefs and it might lead to a, a different a different solution, and I think a better solution than than the public shaming uh, option. But that was a good question. Our next question comes from Colleen Quintel. It seems people are exhibiting more risky behavior in the last few weeks. Can you touch on why this might be happening? Okay, so. Uh, Thank you for the question, Colleen. The question was, it seems like people have been using some more risky behaviors in the last few weeks and what my impression is of it, I believe. Um, so there, uh, I think there, uh, I'm not really, I, I, think I've, I, I think I know what you might be talking about. It might be related to the risky behaviors such as maybe alcohol and drugs, maybe um, some of the ones I talked about perhaps uh, related to um, uh, things like not wearing masks in public or, or having big groups of people together, not practicing social distancing. I think that's kind of what we're relating to here. Um, and I think that what might be at play there is those two things I talked about under overwhelming themes, uh, which is the pressure to adapt and then the COVID fatigue. So I think when those happen and they're, 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 those two things are on steroids, it could definitely have a negative impact on people's uh, life. And then when you join a group of people with the same kind of mindsets that are in the same kind of boat, it, it can definitely lead to a big thing and then people want to join them. And so that's kind of maybe what I'm seeing with, with that. So, yeah. Our next question comes from Terry Shillington and I think you kind of touched on it, but maybe we can, you could elaborate yeah. a little bit. It would seem some responses to the stress of the pandemic by ignoring the whole thing. So it would seem some respond to the stress of the pandemic by ignoring the mm -hmm. whole thing, denying mm -hmm. that it's around. Are we mm -hmm. seeing that in the anti-maskers and others? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
there's that going on too. There's a lot of interesting, um, and I, I'm, I'm interested, I'm curious because I'm a, a psychologist and I, I, I try not to judge. I try to come at more of a curious stance and try to understand why people are doing what they do. So thank you for that question, Terry. The question was related to uh, due to the high amounts of stress, it seems like people are ignoring um, the rules, uh, denying that there is a, co uh, a pandemic, denying um, the importance of rules uh, related to masks, social distancing, anti-masking, things like that. Um, and so, again, I think what I'm curious about there is that due to the COVID fatigue and due to this being a, a long-term thing, um, it can be easier uh, that rather than feeling the feeling the feelings we're going through, it can be easier to deny or avoid them and to take on a different behaviors, opposing behaviors or opposing mindsets. Um, it is it is tough. It's tough to to feel our emotions and to accept them. But it is so important to overcome things, to overcome things like grief and loss, to overcome. Uh, what we're experiencing with our with the with COVID nineteen, how it's affected our mental health, uh, but acceptance can come a huge way in overcoming these things. And I know because I see this every day in my practice. Uh, we and as therapists, we try to we put a big emphasis on acceptance. Our next question comes from Trevor Page. Oh, sorry. Our next question comes from Knut Peterson. Uh, can mental illness be directly linked to the ones? to the one's her hereditary situation, or is it more related to one's surrounding interaction? Okay, that was play, is that right? So can mental illness be directly linked to one's hereditary situation, or is it more related to one's surrounding slash interactions? Okay, thank you, and that was, sorry, the, the name was Clay, is that right? Oh, sorry, Knut Peterson. Knut. Oh, sorry. Knut. 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 Oh, Thank you, Knut. I appreciate that. That's a good, that's a good question. So, what we're, the question is, is uh, uh, the, the, how people are responding to COVID-19 a result of hereditary or their surroundings or their environment? So, what that plays in, that's a major psychological dilemma related to nature versus nurture, right? So are our human behaviors uh, a cause of our upbringing and our hereditary, or is it, uh, sorry, is it a product of our genes or hereditary, or is it a product of our upbringing and, and our environment of what we learn and grow up with? Um, and I would say it's a combination of both. Um, when it comes to mental health, there, a big theory that's used in, in how we develop mental health or mental illness is related to diathesis stress model and that claims that when when mental illness shows up in our life, there is a, a bit of a hereditary component for a lot of the mental illnesses, such as depression. So if your mom or dad has depression and you're their child, you have a, 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 a you know a, kind of a probability potentially of having that gene of it being her, 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 um, inherited to you. However, there is also the, the power of nurture and the power of protective factors and it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get depression because your parents have it but it could show up it could show up if there's a heavy amount of stress in your life if you're experiencing um you know different things in your life so during the COVID-19 pandemic mental illness can show up because of all the stress that's going on if there's a hereditary component however 
it's not like we're doomed to fail. We do have a choice. We do have uh, all the things I mentioned under coping and self-care that can definitely be a big protective factor in our life. Our next question comes from Trevor Page. COVID is the worst situation we faced since the Spanish flu. Has AHS increased the number of stress counselors for public consultation? Okay, the question from Trevor, thanks Trevor, is has Alberta Health Services increased our amount of counselors to cope with uh, how this has affected our mental health uh, throughout Alberta? Um, good question. So what I, what I know is that uh, especially, um, yeah, I think throughout the pandemic, but I found especially near the beginning, like in the first few months, that there has been an increase in funding towards um, national and provincial funding for um, increased mental health supports. But uh, the way that's been distributed has has been kind of confusing up for me. But I know there has been increases in, in things like um, online supports and phone telephone supports. Um, there is There has been some previously, but there's been a bit added to that. And there's been some funding added to some other, um, uh, to help other areas such as addictions, uh, more addictions help, things like that. Um, it's been kind of a, a hard question. Um, the, the, from my perspective, I think the only thing that might be missing, and this is a, a big topic, but um, that uh, for mental health support, when it comes to therapy, professional therapy, such as psychologists, social workers, professional counselors, it's almost kind of like a two-tiered uh, system in our society where um, if there is, a, there is a, a, a bit of help provided for professional therapy if you don't have, if you're in poverty or if you're in low-income situation, and that's from Alberta Health Services, uh, Mental Health and Addiction. Um, there's a few nonprofits that provide free or, or subsidized counseling. Uh, but then the other tier is is people that can afford it, right? And, and therapy can be expensive. Um, unfortunately, not a lot of that cost is subsidized or covered by, well, none of it's covered by um, um, our health plan. But um, if you have insurance or if you can afford it, then you, you can you can have uh, more of a private practice approach. So I think that maybe needs to be um, paid more attention to is, is providing, uh, because when we see doctors or physicians, that's covered by Alberta Health, but um, but uh, usually therapy isn't. So that's, I think, something, that's a bigger topic, right? And that needs to be talked about. Our next question comes from Laurie Schultz. Does Alberta slash Canada have an integrated mental health infrastructure in brackets, affordable and accessible therapy, et cetera? I think you just touched on this. If not, What's required to build a cohesive network? Are you aware of other countries' systems? Okay, so thank you. This question from Lori, I believe, and that was, does Canada or Alberta have, um, can you repeat the last part of that? Does Alberta slash Canada have an integrated mental health infrastructure? And then in brackets, affordable and accessible therapies, etc. And if not, what What's required to build a cohesive network? And mm. then the second question, are you aware of, of other countries' systems? Okay. 
So if, uh, to answer the second question, uh, no, I'm not aware of other countries and what they do, but here in Canada and Alberta, um, I kind of answered this before with how, unfortunately, the cost of mental health therapy uh, can be pretty expensive. It's not really covered a lot by by Alberta Health, but um, um, I, I agree with the the what you were talking about there, uh, Laurie, about having a a cohesive network, an integrated network of therapy providers, and that is definitely attainable now in our system. It's just not it's just not very well streamlined, right? So, if I'm working with a client as as a psychologist. Um, I find it very helpful to be able to collaborate with their physician or their psychiatrist and, and have a team approach. If it's a child I'm working with, it's helpful to work with a school counselor in the school. So it's, it's good to have release form signed and be able to collaborate with those professionals. Um, but that's up to the individual physician, to the individual therapist to get that going. And unfortunately, not a lot of therapists or, or physicians have the time to do that. But I think if it, what I would like to see is a more streamlined approach to that. Um, where there is um, a bridge gap between when uh, um, an individual goes to see their doctor and talks about having problems with depression or anxiety, then they can also get set up with a, a therapist. And because research shows that when you're struggling with a mental illness, what works best is a combination of medication and, and therapy. So, and then having that br- the, the gap bridged and having communications between professionals would be would be the optimum um, case for a lot of individuals that come in for mental health supports. I'm gonna jump in and ask a question. Sure. As the moderator, I'm gonna take my moderator (laughs) (laughs) privileges. Um, So before COVID, one would just phone your practice or phone a practice of a counselor and uh, one would make an appointment, I'm assuming, and then come into your office and off you start on counseling. How has that changed? What if, for example, somebody was listening to this podcast or this um, live stream and thought, I really would like to approach and get some counseling. How, how does that now differ for you? What, what has changed in your practice and what can people expect? Uh, good question, Annalise. Um, so the question was, how has my practice changed um, or other therapists' practice changed from before the pandemic started to where we are now uh, during the pandemic? Good question. So there hasn't been a lot that's changed. Um, I can only speak for my agency, Associates Counseling Services, to get set up with a therapist here. I'm one of the professionals here. There's a few others as well, psychologists and social workers. You just have to call the, the front desk. Um, so you, again, our website for associates counseling is talkinghelps.ca. All talking helps, all in one word. Um, you can call the phone number 403-381-6000, Talk to reception. Uh, talk about what you need, and they'll set you up with a therapist. It's pretty simple, um, and that hasn't changed since the pandemic started. Uh, the only thing that has changed for us, the big thing, is telehealth therapy. So telehealth therapy is available for most counseling agencies throughout Alberta. And that's a good thing. There's, it's been an advancement that we made in our technology. So if you live you know, far away, if you live in a rural setting and you wanna access services, but you don't wanna drive into town, um, if you just prefer to do therapy from your, your home, um, 
telehealth therapy is available for you, where you just need uh, an iPhone, you need a computer, you need internet connection, and you can see a therapist without even leaving your house. Uh, for a lot of people, they, they prefer that option. Um, so that's been the big change is that we, we offer that. So right now, I'm, I do a combination. Mostly, uh, most of the clients I, I see are, are here in my office. I see them face-to-face, -face, uh, but I do see a few uh, individuals who prefer to do the telehealth option. Thank you. Our next question comes from Knut Peterson. Are you licensed? Okay, good are question. You, sorry, you, sorry okay. I, let me just continue. Sorry, a, a message okay. came in and it jumped. Are you licensed to prescribe drugs to combat mental illness? Good question. And uh, sorry, the name was Clay, is that right? Knut. Knut. Sorry, I'm sorry, Knut. I keep calling you the Clay. Apologize about that. I'm just not hearing things properly right now. So thanks for that question, Knut. Um, am I a licensed uh, therapist? Yes, I am. I'm a registered psychologist. Um, the, in Alberta, uh, the, the counselors who are licensed to provide therapy are registered psychologists, uh, re registered social workers, and usually registered social workers that have a clinical background. And then there's a few others, such as uh, registered nurses who have um, who have training for therapy, registered occupational therapists who have training in therapy. There's also uh, uh, other some other licensed counselors, such as uh, Canadian Counseling uh, Psychotherapy Association certified counselors. So there's a few others. Uh, but it's a good question. If you want to see a therapist, ask them what their disciplinary background is, ask them what their license is, and they should be able to tell you because unfortunately counseling itself is not really regulated right now in Alberta. So um, it's good to be skeptical and ask questions when you see a therapist and see if they are licensed, see if they have the education, they have the, the license to, to practice. Um, and the question of can we, die, can we uh, prescribe medications? Um, it, so at this point, uh, doctors and, psych and psychiatrists can uh, prescribe medications. Uh, psychologists and social workers can't. So as therapists, we cannot prescribe medications. And that's why if we have concerns and we think that medication might be helpful for you, we would refer you to a psychiatrist or to your family doctor. And Knut has a follow-up question. Are you called upon to provide help with mental health advice or services at the Leftbridge Correctional Center? Or do they have their own experts? Okay. Good question, Knut. And it does, do I provide mental health services in the corrections program, like in the Lethbridge Corrections? And uh, no, I do not. I don't have a, um, a contract signed with them. There are There is therapy, as far as I know, provided in the, in the prison. But then there's also, I think, um, a few uh, licensed therapists who do, who are contracted to provide that therapy. So good question. Our next question comes from Mary Shillington. Brad, you talk about rebellion traits. Do you think some rebellion, like not wearing masks and no social distancing, is part of this rebellion? And can we do anything to decrease this behavior? Good question. Thank you, Mary Shillington. Good to see you again. Um, and Mary provided my supervision in my practicum, so it's good to hear from you again. And that's a good question. The question was, uh, uh, this inner rebellion that I mentioned that we kind of have inside ourselves that pushes back when we feel like we're being co coerced or controlled. 
um, can that be, can we work with that when, when for other people, I guess, or for ourselves? So that's a good question. Um, so when we have this inner rebellion, okay, so I think what, what helps combat that, because we all have that, is if we feel like we're being heard and understood, if we feel like we're, we're being respected and our, our needs are being heard, um, not necessarily that our needs are being met, but they're being heard. I think that comes a big way, right? Um, and I can just draw on that from my own experience as a therapist. So if I have, if I'm seeing individuals in therapy, especially within the first session, and they don't really want to be there, like they're forced to be there from their parents or from their boss or their their, their wife or husband, um, there is that big inner rebellion within them, right? They don't want to be there. There's a lot of resistance. And so um, if I have a if I have a, a, a rigid approach with them, if I'm very structured and, and I and I kind of have a punitive stance with them, it's not going to work. They're going to they're going to check out, right? Because the inner rebel push out. So instead, I'm going to come at it from um, where I'm going to show that person, as I show all clients, uh, respect. I'm going to show. Um, I'm going to try to understand them. I'm going to come from a curious stance. And I'm going to develop a relationship with them and try to be on their side because I want to help them. Um, and I think that those attitudes and those those skills, those stances, uh, make a big deal in helping people feel like they're being heard, they feel connected, and then they're going to more likely they're more likely to look inside and see what they really want in their life. And I think that's those are kind of the things that we need to to focus on instead of a punitive stance. Okay. Um... I have another question for you. You mentioned earlier on in your talk about uh, children uh, picking up on the stress of their parents. How, as parents, could uh, could you mitigate some of that? Uh, good question. Thanks, Annalise. Uh, the question was, I mentioned how children really pick up on the energy of their parents. So an example is uh, for the parents out there who are married and raising children together. You know that in your marriage, if you guys are going through rough times, you're having lots of conflict, just watch your kids. You can see in their behaviors, you can see in their moods, how they're feeling, that that energy really rubs them the wrong way. It rubs them and it, it brings them down. They're, they're likely to be really affected by that. And that's unfortunate because a lot of times when we're mad at our spouse and our spouse is mad at us, we're not really aware of other things. We're not aware of our kids. We're not aware of the situation, other people. And because our defenses are up, we're kind of going into a fight or flight. We feel threatened and we feel like we're in attack mode. On the other side, say you and your spouse are having a really good day. You guys are in love. You guys are being romantic with each other. Um, there's an emotional connection you feel with your partner and you guys are happy. That has a very positive effect on your kids. They're going to be happy. They're going to be silly. They're going to be fun. They're going to they're um, going to want to be with you. And so um, the first step is to really be aware of that. And then to the second step is to try to make the best of that. Try to really hone in on the happiness that you have in your, not just as a couple, but within the whole family, because that has positive effect on the kids. Now, if you have a lot of conflict in your marriage or in your family, um, Look online, try to find resources. Uh, what's really helpful, as I said before, is therapy. So family therapy, couple therapy, individual therapy. Um, try to learn for yourself or with your partner what what you need to do to to ha provide a more happy atmosphere in you for your family and for your children. 
Our next question comes from Laurie Schultz. Is our mental health being impacted by the political situation in the USA regarding COVID and non-COVID issues? Good question. Really good question, Laurie. So the question was related to um, are the political struggles that are going on in the USA right now, we hear them all the time on, on the news, uh, that are both related to COVID and not related to COVID affecting us as Canadians. And unfortunately, yes, it is. Um, you can see for yourself, like throughout the history, whenever the US has gone through some major things, it definitely impacts us as well. Um, through media, through social media, um, through our economy, through the economy that we share with the United States, through everywhere that every way that we share we share things with the US, it definitely impacts us in many different ways. So um, with what's happening with politically with Trump, with, with the, the, the debates going on right now and, and the, the, the vote going on, the election, um, and also all the, the um, anti-racism um, the, the, and the racism that's going on and all the all of that, uh, the violence and everything, uh, it definitely does impact us. It, there can be a bit of, um, um, in a way, kind of copying or mimicking some of the behaviors in Canada. Um, so what I encourage all people to do that is that the news is a very stressful uh, resource right nowadays. It, it, it can trigger a lot of stress and anxiety in ourselves. So when it's okay to consume media and social media, but make sure that you have some supportive people you can talk to about about how you're feeling about all this content that you find online and, and um, what you're doing to try to cope with that and focusing on your own self-care, which is important so that we we are able to digest that information in a healthy way. Our final question comes from Cliff Peterson. Regarding drug addicts, are you working with some of those unfortunate people, persons, and what are the main issues you encounter? Okay, that was a question from Claire. Is that right? <laughs> Could it? Knut, sorry. Oh my gosh. Knut, sorry. I apologize so much. Apologize. Sorry. It's not It's not you, it's me. <laughs> Thank you for that question again, Knut. You've been awesome today. Lots of questions. I appreciate that. And the question was, uh, do I work with drugs, uh, with with addicts of drugs or alcohol, and, and how is this COVID-19 affecting them? Right? That's the question. Um, I work a bit with, um, with people who have addiction or substance abuse issues. For sure, and um, the way I see it is, is the COVID nineteen has had a big impact on our mental health, and a big part of that too is how it's it has related to increase in, in drugs and alcohol in in order to try to cope with what we're going through. So people who already have an addiction uh, to alcohol, to drugs, to any other kind of social addiction, any kind of addiction we can have, whether it's sex or gambling or anything like that, is uh, it's kind of made it harder because it's created more stress and it's you made the use of the drug even more um triggering or, or empowering and powerful for them and powerful to and really difficult to let go of um so um what i find works best is for those individuals is social supports plays a huge role in the recovery right so to have people who trust them uh, who they trust who who love them and support them, but also encourage them to get help and set boundaries with them is important. 
Um, so if, if you if you're listening and you have somebody in your life who you're concerned about with their their substance abuse, their, their addiction is um, to take a stance of being a supportive person for them to listen to, to uh, provide resources to, but also having boundaries in place so that you're not doing too much for them. You're, you're still enabling, you're still helping them be independent and try to get the help that they need. Um, but making sure you take care of yourself as well, because it can be very stressful um, living with somebody or having somebody close to you who's struggling with addiction right now, because it's, it's a really difficult time to be addicted, to have an addiction right now. Lovely. Um, I just want to read out some messages in the queue of uh, folks who are very thankful for your presentation. There's Laurie Schultz. Thank you, Brad, for a very informative and helpful presentation. Colleen Quintel, very positive presentation on mental health, exclamation mark. The world doesn't always seem positive these days. Thanks, Brad. And then Mary, Mary Shillington, good job, Brad. Great to hear you again. Thanks, Mary. Um, on that note, we'll end the um, live stream. But before we end it, do you have any take home message for us? Yes. Thank you for, so much for those comments. I appreciate it. And thank you everybody for your questions. And uh, Knut, I hope we can meet face to face one day and I will get your name correct. So uh, that's great. Um, I just want to end with the message that we don't know when this thing will end. We, and I will encourage us to keep in mind that mental health is just as important as physical health. When it comes to our mental health, worrying about it, stressing out about it, feeling pressure to be better in our mental health is actually not good. It's actually more harmful than good. So what does help is accepting our lack of control, being okay with being you, allowing yourself to relax and allowing yourself to enjoy life. So with that, take care. Thank you for attending my presentation and take care of yourself, take care of others. Lovely. Thanks, Brad. Um, I hope everybody will join us next week for um, October 16th is World Food Day. And so on October 15th, we have our speaker, Julie Marshall. This is no ordinary World Food Day, addressing global hunger in a time of COVID. So I hope you'll join us next week for that and um, see you then.